All right, man, I have absolutely loved, we have loved being with you guys, my wife and my kids, and um, man, it's just a huge blessing to have spent a few days with you and looking forward to being back in June, um, hoping to see a lot of you guys um, uh, there together at the global time, and yeah, we'll, um, we'll look forward to that together. Um, I, um, I borrowed something um, that I wanted to introduce you to. I introduced you to my wife and my kids, but I also wanted to introduce you to another a uh, couple members of our family, um, and don't, don't laugh because my boy's listening. This is Monkey, okay? Can you guys say hi to Monkey? Hi, Monkey. All right, and this is Blanky. Jed, hi, I borrowed these. I'll give them back, I promise, okay? Now, here's the thing. My little boy is concerned right now because these mean a lot to him, right? Um, and this is going somewhere. I didn't do drugs, I promise. Um, these mean a lot to my boy so much that when we were going to fly um, down to um, Exeter the other day from Newcastle, we got to the airport and we realized we had left Monkey and Blanky behind. And uh, it's a big deal. And my son started crying and all he kept saying was, I can't even sleep without them. And so Mike, the man Duff, got in his speedy um, car, not so speedy car, but he drove it speedily and he rushed home. And I sent Jill and the boys through the, the to, you know, through security, and I waited, and I waited, and Mike drove, and he drove, and I waited, and I waited, and he drove, and he drove, and he pulled up, and I grabbed Monkey and Blanken. I came running through, and I came through security, and my boy saw me. He started shouting. He was so excited, right? Um, so here, well, actually, we should give these back to Jack. Jack, can you catch? There we go. There we go. All right. That's a 90 for you, bud. Or not a nighty, a night-night, never mind. So um, here's the thing. Why did I talk about that? Because my, my boy, and I had a blankie too, and you probably had something of the equivalent. My boy's really sentimental about those things. He can't even sleep without them, right? And that's okay, because he's a little kid, and that's totally fine. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm willing, I would have done anything I could. I mean, we've lost Monkey a couple of times, and I've been um, just like a, just, I mean, just on a mission to find him because it means a lot, you know? Um, and so I'm talking about that because I think we're about to hit the hardest thing um, here at the end. I think the thing that there is an inordinate amount of sentiment attached to you. And I wanted to give you a little bit of a picture of what it looks like to be sentimental about something, you know, 18 years from now, um, for, for his sake and for the sake of whoever he's probably going to marry, um, it would be awesome if he's not still attached. You know what I'm saying? Um, He'll grow out of that, right? You know, because it's, it's not like this thing that's worth, like, you know, keeping your whole life. And I feel like when we come, these conversations, I, I mean, I do do this, you know, a, a lot. I, I try to help people think through, you know, and, and help us as a team, you know, as our church think through, like, what are we doing and why are we doing it? And I feel like every time we come to the, the Sunday service scenario, it always, like, there's like just an inordinate amount of sentiment attached to that. I feel like all of a sudden I'm like, who now we have to tiptoe and we're walking on thin ice. And um, I just think, you know, there's just a lot of sentiment there. And, and so, um, and I, I felt the courage, you know, off of Ben's prayer to, to kind of use the two analogies there because I just feel like, like something of God, he just wants to, he just wants to, for some, some, some of you maybe in this room or someone you know, a friend you know, he just wants to say, hey, like enough's enough, you know? Enough's enough holding on to the way that you want to do this in such a sentimental way that you're not willing to think about it. 
um, thinking about it from a, a missional um, perspective. And so um, I think, you know, Sundays are hard. I mean, they're hard work. I, we, we, it's not, and I want to say this too, it's not that it's not hard for us. It's really hard for us. We got a bunch of people in our church who they've all been to lots of Sunday services. I mean, if there's any subject in your whole church where everyone there thinks they're an expert, it's how to do a Sunday morning service because they've been to so many of them. And so they just assume that they know as much as you know because they've been to a whole bunch of them, right? And so they are putting this pressure on, well, why not more of this? And why not less of that? Why don't you talk about this? And why don't we sing about that? And why did we sing? It's just like they, they feel like they have this, this weighted opinion because of their experience. And then you've got mixed into that, if that wasn't enough, you've got band members and worship leaders. And these guys know everything. And so um, they, they are like really like, they, they've got like, they are the one who's received the, the, the wisdom from God and don't, don't shape their song list. Don't tell them not to sing that or to sing that shorter or, you know, don't, don't try, don't mess with the, 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 like the worship leader. We are leading people here and just back off, you know, so there's that sort of like tension of dealing with band leaders and band members and having to say, hey, you know, maybe think about this and having to sort of be cautious about it. And then there's elders and leaders who this is their like one shot a month or a year or whatever. They get to lead this meeting and I'm leading this meeting. All right, so why don't you sit down because I'm leading this meeting. You told me I could lead it. Stop trying to, try, stop trying to micromanage me because I'm leading this meeting, right? And it will go as long as I want it to go because I'm leading it, right? And so there's these, like these levels of like just difficulty. And then there's all of our experience and we're just a product of it right? And so I just, I'm trying to help you see why I think this thing is so complicated. And then there's us, and we cling to our way of doing it like a little monkey in a little blankie. And we, we take like comfort in the way we do it, not in the God who's, who's there, as, as Ben just so wonderfully prayed. We're not, we're, some, some of us honestly aren't putting our hope on Sundays in Jesus. We're putting our hope in our way of doing a service, and I, I could be guilty of that too. And so we, we want to, what I'm trying to help you do is I'm trying to help sort of, if it's necessary, pry your hands off the way you do this so we can hold it like this because all that we really care about is making much of Jesus. That's our hope, right? Yes. We're hoping that if Jesus, if, like we want Jesus to show up and change people's lives. So, so anyway, that's, that's, and we've got these cities to reach. So it's, it's, it's kind of important that we really do everything we can. Um, First thing I want to say in light of all that is that Sunday services reveal what you and I really care about. They reveal what we really care about. I mean, what we're trying to look at here is the logical conclusion of everything we've talked about so far. If you as a church are on mission and you as leaders are on mission, Sunday should reflect that. Sunday shouldn't feel like a weird schizophrenic, like, what? I thought your church was on mission and you were on mission and what is this, Right? This is the logical conclusion of everything we've talked about. I'm not saying that we don't want to really worship and really pray and help believers and all these things that people always think that I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that Sundays reflect what we value. Sundays are like a display case for what we really believe. They put on display. We're publicly saying this is who we are and this is what we like and this is what we value. They show people what we really care about, don't they? That's the first thing. The second, second part of that um, is that if your church is on mission and you're on mission, people are going to come to your Sunday meetings that aren't saved. They're going to show up. It's a fact. And maybe just kind of pausing there for a second, if people aren't showing up, right? So if Sunday mornings, if people aren't showing up to, to your church, 
who aren't saved, the problem isn't, isn't, with, the, isn't with the service. We want to go back to the beginning and go, am I on mission as a leader? If not, okay, fix that. Am I helping our church be on mission? Am I helping us be spirit-filled missionaries to our city? Am I helping us think through mission at every level? Am I doing all that? You, don't, you can't just change Sunday morning and think, okay, now we've got it. You know, now we've got it sorted. We can keep everything else the same. No, everything's got to be redone in light of this, right? We've got to think through everything in light of the mission. And so if people aren't, aren't showing up at your church on Sunday who are, are not Christians, if you aren't feeling like that's a normal thing, it's probably because you or your leaders or your church isn't really on mission. And so, so go back there first, right? Don't just think you can you know, sing a different song or preach a little bit less and now you know, the masses will show up. Um, so um, Sunday mornings are not 100% of the total missional, you know, endeavors that we, we, we've talked about this already, you know, disciples and leaders and community and, and, and yourself. We've talked about all this other stuff, but, but Sunday services are this just, they're just this amazing opportunity if we use them right. So they're not everything, but they're surely something, right? So what I'm suggesting is that we, 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 we don't chuck out everything we're doing, but we, we look at how do we add mission to that. And then maybe we have to adjust some of the things we are doing in light of that. That's all I'm saying, right? Uh, and that's, that's all I'm suggesting. So um, do, do unsaved folks come to your, to your, to your Sunday services? And, and it, you know, we pray for them to come, right? We pray, Lord, send them, Lord, send them. But if they come, what happens? You know, what, what happens? What, what does success look like? What, um, and so we'll get, we're going to get into that. The first thing I want to say is that the first challenge, I don't think, is the lost. I think it's the saved. I think the first challenge is not those out there. It's those in the room on Sunday already, right? That's the first challenge. Not who we're trying to reach, who's already here. And I think for a lot of us, we can't help ourselves. And someone said it so brilliantly earlier. Um, you know, we're, we're just, trying to, just trying to get people to stay, right? And so we do this weird thing to Jesus' church, which was like, sent to like take on hell, you know, we, we, um, we design it to keep people instead of reach people. And we just, it's, it's just subconscious. And it comes from, I think that you're starting something and you feel like the more people that's here, the more safe it's going to be. So you keep, you just, you essentially just, you do a little weird shift to, to Jesus's church and, and, and you focus on how do we just keep everyone happy and how do we keep everyone here? There was a, um, a church near us who had a, a large billboard that said, um, we're all about people. And, and, and really what that meant for them was they're all about keeping their people happy. And it was just sad watching this church go through just, I mean, they, just would, do, they would just do anything to keep their people happy. And they, they weren't leading people. They weren't, they weren't taking their people on mission. They weren't reaching new people. And so um, uh, the first step for us is, is, you know, is something like we've already talked about. We have to redefine what success looks like, and we have to do that with Sunday services. We have to redefine what a successful service um, on a Sunday looks like. Keep it in mind that your people all think they're experts, that your band and your worship leaders have really strong opinions, that your leaders and yourself, you know, you're clinging tightly uh, to the way you do things, maybe unnecessarily. Um, and this can be hard, um, you know, because like I said, people have had a lot of history and it's going to take some undoing. And it's going to take some tearing down of people's ideas of what success looks like. And people don't like that. They don't like it. In fact, People in your church probably joined you because they thought you were enough like where they came from before. And now you want to change it, you know? And you could almost guarantee that where they came from before wasn't even thinking about mission because it feels like so few people are. So you and I have to, have to, we have to redefine what success is. And so uh, to know what we are trying to do, it's helpful to know what we're not trying to do. Let me just give you a, things I don't, a few things I don't think Sunday services are. 
I don't think Sunday services are members' meetings. But we treat them like that sometimes. Like everyone here is a member of our church already. So we just update everybody on the major church news and cover all the bits and pieces and talk about whatever we would want to talk to at a members' meeting. Sunday services aren't leaders' meetings either. They're not just this training ground to equip the saints. There aren't many leadership training sessions. And I mean, it's great. We can equip the saints and we can train them. We do all those things. That, that stuff can happen on a Sunday, but that's not exclusively what the time's for. And, and finally, and these are kind of all somewhat connected, but just you know, trying to use the language that would make sense to you, Sunday services aren't family gatherings either. It's not just like a big family reunion on Sunday, and we treat Sundays like that. It's not just, you know, we're not just thinking about the people who are already, this church is their home. That's not the only people that we're thinking about. Why? Why is it not a members meeting, not a leaders meeting, and not a family gathering? Because the lost should be, and, and hopefully are, present. What, what the Bible calls outsiders and unbelievers are present. I, I think Paul's giving the, he's, he's addressing the equivalent of what our Sunday gatherings would be like. In 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking through orderly worship, and he, he does this bit with tongues, and he says in verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together, so this is like massive, you know, the, the church has come together, and so far it sounds like he's talking about a members meeting or potentially a leaders meeting or a family type meeting, and I'll speak in tongues, and now he says, and outsiders or unbelievers enter. That's why I think this fits the Sunday service thing, because this isn't just now, it isn't just the whole church, you know, the the members, like the, the ones that are in, now we're talking about the whole church plus outsiders and unbelievers. I think that's our public, you know, that's our public like Sunday type meetings. If they all enter, will they not say you're out of your minds? I mean, the whole ch- if it's just a members meeting, we're all happy. Speak in tongues, do your thing, right? But now you've got these additional people here and says, these guys are gonna think you're crazy. But if y'all prophesy when an unbeliever and outsider, outsider enters, He's going to be convicted. He's going to get called to account. He's going to, the secrets of his heart are going to be disclosed, which is going to freak him out. And he's going to fall on his face. I added, which is going to freak him out because I think it's lost there somewhere, but it's true. <laughs> he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I mean, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to realize Paul is biasing his argument in that direction. He's saying, look, if you get a situation, if you're in, a, if you're in an environment where an outsider or an unbeliever could enter, you should be thinking about that and you should be, you should be leading the, the thing in such a way that it leads to him falling on his face and worshiping God, not running out saying you're crazy. I don't want to beat a dead horse. I've talked about this a lot, but I think as charismatics, we have worn on our badge this like, this like honor that people think we're nuts. And Paul's like, that's not... That's not a win. The guy left thinking you're crazy. In fact, this did happen one time. It happened at Pentecost, if you remember, right? I mean, tongues fell down, literally, like this tongues of fire, and everybody's speaking in tongues. And what people say, these guys are out of their minds. They're drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. And Peter, it wasn't like, awesome. We, we love people thinking we're crazy. That's what Jesus died for. No, he gets up and says, hang on a second. Hang on. We're not drunk. No, no, no. It's not what this is. It's not what you think. And he, what does he do? He preaches the gospel. Hey, this Jesus that you crucified, he's back. He, he's, he, see, God rose him from the dead, and he's coming back again, and 3,000 people get saved versus 3,000 people leave going, you're crazy. And a handful of Christians go, see, that's what God wanted, right? <laughs> so because there are outsiders and unbelievers present, I believe 
that the way we do a Sunday meeting can't be treated like a members meeting or a family meeting or a leaders meeting. We've got to treat it different, and we can still have those meetings. That's awesome. Have those meetings. But when there's a, a situation where you're hoping outsiders and unbelievers come, you've got, you got to treat it differently, right? Just because of that reality, we have to treat Sundays differently. And, and if you've got people who say, well, that's, you know, I'm still not convinced. Well, I would say, well, to, to treat it, to, to not treat it differently is, is, is not just unwise. I think it's very cruel. Here's what I mean by that. Because it already takes a miracle for people to get saved. It already takes a miracle for people to get saved. If an unsaved person shows up, it already takes an absolute miracle for them to get saved. It's, it's, it's like absolutely impossible. Every one of us in this room and everybody in our churches, if we tried to save one person from right now to the day we died, if we tried to save them ourselves, we couldn't do it. We can't, we're hopeless. We're helpless. It's going to take a miracle. Listen to the, the missionary of missionaries, the apostle of apostles. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19, Paul here, he says, look, I'm free from all, but I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became was a Jew, to the win the Jews, to, the, to those under law I became as one under law, and not myself under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I became all things to all people that I might save some. Whoa, no, a bit of a letdown. You did a lot of work there, Paul. Some? You're Paul. Some? Paul said, I'm going to do everything. I was a Jew of Jews, a, a, a Pharisees of Pharisees. A Pharisee of Pharisees. And you look, I'm going to do everything I can. You know what's going to happen? Some. Why? Because it's a miracle. Let me just remind you what we are trying to get people who right now in your cities do not believe in God to believe. Let me just remind you. We would like them to believe, just consider this, that there is a perfect God who created the world. It wasn't evolution. It wasn't some big bang in the sky. There's a perfect God who created the world, and he's controlling everything. Then we'd like them to believe that um, his son... He had a son. That that son was born of a virgin. Time out, folks. Did you guys have Jeff sex ed here in this country? That's not how it works, right? There's a bird and, and there's a, a bee and there's some flowers and there's some all kind. We can talk about it later if you need that. Um, Howard can talk about it later if you need that. Um, he was born of a virgin. We want people to believe that. That is how we're, that's like our starting line. Like, we, oh, you think it's crazy. It's not crazy. He's born of a virgin. Like, that's just crazy. Oh, and then um, he lived perfect for 33 years. You know, he never did anything wrong. Never looked at porn. Never thought about hooking up with a chick. Never did anything like that. Never wronged anyone. Was perfect for 33 years. I can't be perfect for 33 seconds. And he was perfect for 33 years. Oh, and then he died. Oh, okay, yeah, everybody dies. No, 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 this, this is different. His death somehow, you see, it, 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 um, it atones for our sin. It, somehow this guy who died, who was born of a virgin, who lived perfect and died thousands of years ago, he did it for me. 
And somehow, like every sin I've ever done and every will do, he took with him up on this cross and he hung there and he paid for it. Now, that, that really happened. That's what we really believe. Oh, man, it sounds horrible. No, no. Th- see, then he rose again from the dead. You know, a big stone rolled away and this whole thing happened. Yeah, so he rose from the dead. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh, yeah, one more thing. Sorry, yeah, he's coming back again. And when he does, uh, he's going to rule everything forever and ever and ever. Now, this sounds so normal to us. In fact, we're ready to sing a worship song after hearing that. But for people who don't know Jesus, they think this is crazy. And we've forgotten how crazy it is. It takes a miracle. It, if you believe that in this room, a greater miracle has happened in your heart than would happen if you didn't have legs and we prayed and you did have legs. The greatest miracle that's ever happened has happened in your heart and mind, and that's what's necessary. And so, and so to, to not think about this, and when we have a chance to reach outsiders and unbelievers, to not think about it, it's not just unwise, it's cruel. It's to say we know it takes a miracle. We know it's going to be absolutely impossible unless God does something miraculous in your heart. But you know what? We want you to sit there because we don't care, because this is how we like doing Sunday services. That's not just unwise, it's cruel, guys. It's cruel. We've so forgotten what it's like that we don't even include that kind of thinking in some of the ways we do Sundays. We just chuck out a, and by the way, if you're here and you're not a Christian, got a prayer, you can pray at the end. After two hours of not addressing them at all. It's hard enough to reach unsafe people already. It takes a miracle. Why should we want to make it any harder than that? It's like the Pharisees, Jesus said. They, they took the law and they had a whole bunch of laws to it, 600 and something laws. And they, Jesus said they, they want to heap, heap yokes on people's backs, burdens on people's backs. And they just want to, it's like they want to sit back and watch. They won't even lift a finger to help them. They just want to watch. But just, it's like they want to make it harder to obey God than it already is. Paul's saying, look, I don't want that. I, I don't want that. I, I don't want to add obstacles. I, I want... I want I want people to, to, to have a chance to hear the gospel as easily as possible. I think that's what the, the heart of the New Testament is, is, is calling us to. I think we're to make Sunday services as easy for lost people as we can. And I'm not talking about, not talking about sin. and not, I'm not talking about any of that. That's liberalism. That's not what we're advocating. That's the rock of offense. Every single Sunday we do should have the rock of offense right there in the middle of the room. Not a literal rock, all right? In case some of you guys are gonna, looking for an idea, that might work, I don't know. But like, they should be as present as that. There should be every Sunday, there should be this sense in which there's this rock sitting there. That's just, man, it's offensive. But it's Jesus. It's really clear, that rock is Jesus. It's clear as day. We're gonna make it as clear as day. That's who we want you to trip over. That's what, we, that's what we're making a big deal about here, Right? I'm talking about considering lost people at every level. I'm talking about not just designing the church for those who are already in it. Thinking about, we, 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 oftentimes we lead our church thinking about those who are already here. They're already in. They're already in. They're already with you. Think about the people who aren't, right? I had a guy tell me, a guy in our area told me, um, he surfs and everything, he's, you know, and, and he said to me, he said, what do you wear when you preach? And I was like, I don't know. Shorts, shirt, clothes, you know? And, um, I mean, we live in a surfing culture. I mean, it just, I'm, you know. He's like, nah, not me. I really dress up. I was like, 
I didn't see that coming. He's like, yeah, I mean, like, full suit every week. I was like, wow. Because he's in another city. I was like, hey, is that like a thing there? Like, I mean, who are you trying? He's like, oh, no, no, no. No, I don't like wearing suits or anything. Um, he said, I just feel like it's too easy for people to just get, you know, just to like church for the wrong reasons. I want to make it, I want to make it as hard as possible. <laughs> he literally said this. He said, I want it to be like, if somebody comes back to our church, I want it to be a miracle. I want to be like, gee, I was like, it's already a miracle. That there, I mean, it's like, how many miracles do we want to try to conjure up on a Sunday morning? Like, it's already impossible. Why do we want to make it harder? Now, it's easy for us to point at that guy. Oh, that's silly. But we're, we do that stuff ourselves, you know. This is how we like doing it. If you don't like doing it, that's fine. It's not fine if they need Jesus, right? Um, okay. It's already hard enough. Um, so we, we were talking about, you know, actually acting on Sundays like we're glad unsaved people are there, right? Actually take, this is a big one, actually taking them and their questions and their objections seriously. Because sometimes we say things, you know, it's like that awkward moment where you're talking about somebody and you don't realize they're in the room. I think that happens a lot. We're like, you know, there's crazy people out there in our city who believe that God's not well, and they're like, I'm that crazy person, you know, instead of actually going, hey, maybe you're here and you don't believe God's like this, man, that's, yeah. Get it? Sounds crazy. Let's talk about that for a minute. Instead of like taking their objections seriously and taking them seriously. Okay, so we, want, we should use Sunday's permission. I've beat that up, but how? All right, here's, I think, a good, a good test to use. If, what if your unsaved friend or neighbor showed up on Sunday? That's like a really good test. And here is what I've found. I cannot tell you how many leaders, how many leaders I've, had, I've found this from. Um, so many people have told me, guys who led churches and guys who are on leadership teams and churches, elders or whatever, that they, when they stop and think about it, they would be embarrassed if their own friends or neighbors who are unsaved came to the church they lead. I mean, a lot of people have told me this. That they would be personally embarrassed if one of their unsaved friends or neighbors came to the church they lead. Can we just agree that's a problem? That's a problem, right? And, and, and the good news is we can do something about it, right? Um, so I think one of the first things we should do is just start by trying to remove any obstacles, right? Remember 2 Corinthians 6, 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way. So I, I want to just suggest that some of the ways we do things are just adding additional obstacles for unsaved people. And so we should constantly be looking at these things and constantly trying to remove them because we want people to make it right all the way to the rock of offense. And if they leave going, I can't believe you crazy people think Jesus is amazing. We say, you're right. You're right. I mean, if everyone gathered at Pentecost would have said, these guys are drunk. They think Jesus is Lord. Peter wouldn't have got him and said, no, 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 that's not what we think at all. No, that's exactly what we think. If you're going to leave thinking that's crazy, it's crazy. You're right. That's what we believe. So we want to get people all the way there, though. So let's think through some of the Sunday morning pieces, okay? Announcements. Are they too long for your unsaved friend or neighbor? Your unsaved friend or neighbor, right? Think about your friend shows up, your neighbor shows up, they don't know Jesus. Would you, if you were giving the announcements, be quickly trying to make them shorter? Well, someone else may have brought their neighbor or friend, and so we can, we can think about that. Is it too long? Are we, maybe with our announcements, are we speaking in some Christian version of SAS code? You know? Um, hey, everybody, don't forget this week, uh, we got um, MNW and PPW, and don't forget it. Whatever you do, don't forget that. Okay, moving right along. Everybody's like, what the heck is that? Oh, it's, it means men in the word and uh, power prayer Wednesday. 
That's what it means. How did you not know that? Well, it's because it's crazy. That's how we didn't know it, right? Um, are we speaking to some kind of weird code? We name stuff. like we, We're worse than the military. The way we, we make letters and everything. We just, we, just, we just act like everybody knows this. Remember, it's not a members meeting, not a family meeting. Not everybody knows your inside jokes and your inside language, right? Think about them. Because what you're doing, before you got to a song, you're already telling them, yeah, we know you don't know anything about this and we just don't care. We're going to get on with our meeting. You guys can just watch. Because right away, we're telling you, we're willing to use language you don't understand. We haven't even gotten to the Bible yet. It's, it's insider language, and it's an obstacle. I mean, just think about what you name stuff. Our ladies' ministry, you know, they really prayed about it, and they just settled on the Sisters of Guadalupe, Holy Trinity, Mother Mary. And um, really just, that's what they felt like, you know. Sorry, go pick a different name. How about ladies' ministry? All right, length of singing or words in songs or style of worship. This is part of the Sunday service. Usually some music is involved. Is it too long for your unsaved friend or neighbor? Everybody, let's stand together for an hour and a half, right? Because um, you just woke up and nobody ever does that. So why don't you guys stand up for an hour and a half? Like, is that too long for your unsaved friend or neighbor? And if they were here, would you, would, maybe you would keep it the same amount of time. They would say, look, if you're not you know, normally in church and you don't want to stand up, that's cool. Sit down. But like this, hey, everybody, let's stand up. Hands up in the air. Wave them around. Okay, let's go. Like you've created this like moment that while it might be great cardiovascular activity for your Christians, <laughs> it has like, it is automatically either alienated the people who don't know Jesus or forced them worse into pretending. And you're going to be trying to work that out later when they do become a Christian, but you seem fine with it. We seem fine with it right away. Everyone, hands in the air. Come on, everybody, get down the aisles and dance with somebody. Like, we, we create this moment where they have to fake it. They have to pretend, and that's the worst thing they should be doing in church. Right? We shouldn't be faking it in church, but right away it's like, come on. Everybody, everybody, I saw you not dancing. I was at a church recently, and that happened. I was, I'm not kidding. The guy said, hey, you guys over there, you're not dancing. I was mortified. I was like... Da, da, da. <laughs> like, try to like river dance and like don't point at me you know and I'm a pastor and I was the one about to preach and I was scared God forbid if I was there I didn't know Jesus you see what I'm saying what about words in our songs everybody we're now going to sing Hosanna because everyone says that all the time Hosanna nobody knows what that means I bet 90% of the church that you lead doesn't know what that means you think the guy, you know, that you met playing rugby that managed to show up at church on Sunday knows what Hosanna means? I'm not saying you don't sing that song. I'm just saying, take a second and say, hey, guys, we're going to sing a song. It's got this word Hosanna in it. It's not a word we use a whole lot in England or Wales, but you know what it means? It means save us. And so you don't have to be singing the song if you're not a Christian, but I want you to know what we're singing. When we're singing this, we're recognizing we're not good people of ourselves. We need a savior. We didn't need, you know, an Oprah in the sky or Dr. Phil or, you know, we didn't need just a good help. We didn't need a life coach. We needed someone to reach down and save us. And so we sing it. Sorry, the word's a little funny, but when we sing it loud and some of us are going to raise our hands, it's because we just, it reminds us we need a savior. That's why we're singing that song. Here I raise my Ebenezer. I did this to my, um, our band. Um, and I looked, I just, all worship leaders included, I said, hey, everybody, I love that song. Right? Love it. I mean, I've got prone to wander tattooed on my arm. I kind of like the song. What is an Ebenezer? And nobody knew what it meant in the band. They play this song almost every week. The worship leaders didn't know. Nobody knew. 
I mean, people's best guess is a character from Scrooge, right? <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's an um, interesting picture. Here I raise my small, old, greedy man, you know. <laughs> but it's not what we're getting at, right? And so it's worth taking a second to explain what that means if you're going to sing it. And if you're here and you're a worship leader, this should be your job first. It should be your job first. You should be having a look at the songs and thinking, do any of these words not make sense? How about, are these words true? I had a worship leader tell me, I'm not a a theologian, I'm just a worship leader. And I was like, wrong, buddy. Wrong. Because that song you're singing is a sermon. And that sermon, they're going to remember longer than mine because it had music to it. And it's probably on the radio. And so that one, that sermon matters probably more than mine does. It better be right. So, hey, I like the song, I like the tune, but this one line, it's kind of heretical. How about we ditch it or rewrite it? I, I don't think, I don't think that, that musician's ever going to show up your church and know the difference, right? It's probably okay. Does the, the, the style of your music, does it, does it sound like you're at a Jewish wedding? What was going on in the 80s? You know, King of kings and Lord of lords, glory, hallelujah. What was happening back then, man? The whole world went like Jewish. We lost people must have thought we were absolutely insano. I mean, gosh. Okay, so I've kind of beat that one pretty good. If an unsaved person, this is the final test. If an unsaved person was to read the words up on the screen during the songs, what would they learn about Jesus in the gospel? What if they checked out after that and never made it to the sermon? Would they have heard enough already? That's why it's important to sing songs that talk about Jesus in the gospel. Not just me and Jesus, you know, it sounds like me and Jesus kissing in the closet, right? I'm not saying that like those like affectionate, I just freaked somebody out, man. I saw it. I was... That was too much for somebody. Um, but like that, um, that, like that type of like, let's just like sing, like those, those poetic songs are, are, are great and they're fine. But I'm saying like, man, maybe on a Sunday morning, we try to, le- we try to lean more into songs that if people were just reading the words, they're going to hear who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Because they may not make it any further than that, but at least they left learning something, right? Okay. All right. So, um, Great. Length of the sermon, <clears throat> Andrew. Um, length of the sermon. The title of your sermon. The points in your sermon. These, these things mattered. We've got to be, um, the, the, the term is audience-centric. We've got to be thinking about the audience. It's hard for us to do. Are we answering the questions that lost people have in the Sunday sermon? Are we answering the questions that lost people have? Most, uh, most sermons end up being just what you and I wanted to say. They're sender-centric. They're, we're gonna, you got to sit down and shut up. I got the mic. You're not going to hear what I wanted to say. Versus, hey, you guys all showed up today, uh, you know, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to help you hear what you need to hear. Here's the word of God, and here's what it really means for you. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna address questions. I mean, I'm not saying you have to say that, but that's what you're doing. You're not saying, everybody, this is my sermon now. Everybody, shh, everybody be quiet. I'm going to say my points. No, no, you're here. I'm going to try to help you. I'm going I'm to try to answer your questions. Christian, non-Christian, I'm going to try to help you. 
People, um, it's like that tying the shoe thing. People are using their working memory. Unsafe people, they show up. And if all of this stuff is new to them, if the first time you've ever been to church, they, it's like sensory overload. It's like you and I going in a mosque. Whoa, what do I do? What do I do? Sit down, turn around, kneel, what? What do you, I, I, I don't understand that language. You know, it's just this whole like, that's the scenario people are in and, and, and they don't know how to turn off that just, that, that's just like that, I'm taking everything in, I'm taking everything in. They're just assuming everything's equally important. And guys, that, that, that's called working memory and your brain has very little of it. Have you ever, I mean, again, try to teach a kid how to tie his shoes. How long is their attention span? Not very long, right? Because they're zeroed in and they're just burning it up and burning it up and it's gone. And then you can, you can try all you want, but you need to stop, do something else and come back and pick up tying shoes later, right? Because it's gone. Once it's gone, it's gone, okay? People show up that don't know Jesus, new to church, and they're, they're just engaging their working memory. And they don't know how to turn it off. And, and most of us, we burn up all that stuff before we ever make it to the first point in our sermon. We've just, we've just, we've just toasted everything. They've, they clicked on when they, when they showed up and they sat down and they stood up and then they danced with someone they didn't know. And then they, 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 and, and they've gone through everything they had. And you can try to talk about tying your shoes and talk about, but it's over. It's over. Better luck next time if there's a next time. We just we burn them up before we even get them there. So like, that's why I'm trying to get to it fast, man. It's not because I don't want us to like sing and all this. It's because I, I think I want to do that. I want to worship, but we're going to do that for a long time in heaven. And right now we've got some unsafe folks that I want to I at least get to point number one before they check out, right? Just how I do it. I'm not saying how you have to do it. Um, this is um, actually profoundly helpful for all the Christians that are in the room already, by the way. In case you think we're talking about leaving these guys in the dust, we're not. When you preach in such a way that you're not just equipping the saints, but you're addressing the lost, you know what you're doing? You're equipping the saints by showing them how to address the lost. Yeah. Let me say that one more time. When you preach in such a way that you're not just addressing the saints, but you're, but you're, you're, you're not just equi- equipping the saints, you're addressing the lost, you are equipping the saints by helping them learn how to address the lost. They are sitting there going, ooh, that is good. Yeah, that would be really good. That's my neighbor's question. That's my coworker. My, 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 my family just asked me that question. Great, I got the answer. You're helping them learn how to address the lost, and it's good for them. And you know what else you're doing? Something I never realized until like a year or so into this is that I was creating a very safe place for people to bring their unsaved friends. I can't even tell you the last time I had to say to our church, bring your unsaved friend to church. We never say that. Because everybody already does. And I think it's because we just, they feel like we're going to take them serious. Like if something crazy goes down, we're going to explain it. We're not going to go out of our way to make this weird. And we're going we're gonna to take them serious. We're going to honor the fact that they're there. And they're just people bring their, I mean, sometimes in a really creepy way. There's this lady who brought her, her neighbor to, to church. And she was like, and it's like the person standing as close as Matt is to me. And she's like, this is my neighbor. They don't know Jesus. I was like, I think they heard you. And um, they go in and sits down, and uh, she's sitting in the back, and like she's already like pointed the person out. She sits down, and um, in the middle of the sermon, she's literally doing this. Her friend's sitting here, she's going, and I'm like watching this other woman. She's going, like just looking at this woman's finger pointing at her head. I was like, oh my gosh, epic fail! Like I can try all I want, but she ain't coming back, you know. Um, but if you create church in such a way it's a safe place, people want to bring their lost friends. Hey, you got to come here. This man, they, they know that their, their friends are going to get loved and, and, and their questions are going to get answered. Um, 
This includes preparing sermons for you guys who preach. Um, who are you thinking about? I'm convinced you can't preach to lost people if you don't prep to lost people. If you don't think about them when you're doing the preparation of a sermon, if you're not imagining, if they're not at least one of the audiences you're imagining. You're, you know what we do? We're not writing sermons in case Lloyd-Jones shows up. He's dead. He's not coming. So we write these, sorry, sorry. I know that, that cuts deep to, um, Sorry. So here's the thing, though. A lot of us were writing sermons, especially young preachers. We're writing sermons thinking if, like, our theological hero walked in the room, would he be, like, really impressed? Or if, like, a guy from Bible college showed up, would he, would he be, like, writing up, examining? That's that. Nope, they're not in the audience, okay? So check that out. Now, who are you preaching to? Who's actually there? Okay, well, you can use all the big words you want, but if everybody in the room is a bunch of new Christians, like, we should probably, you know, who's the audience? Okay, and then chuck in a few people who don't know Jesus. Now, how do we help those guys, too? That's, that's how we're working through a sermon, right? And so if you prep to lost people, you'll preach them. If you don't think about them in sermon prep and you get into the sermon, what's going to happen is you're going to, all of a sudden at the end, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I never said a thing about, okay. Uh, guys, if you don't know Jesus and you're just going to chuck something out there that's not going to be clunky, it's going to feel weird, it's going to feel tacked on, it's not going to work. No one comes down for our altar calls. Well, it didn't make any sense. Okay. Um, response. Does the way that we, we, we land a sermon, does that response make sense only to people who are already saved? Here's something that I got really just mm, taken on by a couple years ago. It was so good. Uh, a gay guy in our church who's living for Jesus, celibate, he took me on on this. He said, hey, he said, man, your responses, they're always really good, but they're always addressed to people who are married. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a problem. So I got to start incorporating single people right? Now, some of you guys are probably nailing that because of your culture, but you also got to think about like, what, what, how, does, how does the person who's not a Christian here respond? That should be part of every response you ever do. What about your mission statement? That mission, how are you weaving that in at the end? Um, people ask me all the time, how often do you guys preach on mission every Sunday? How often do we preach on the gospel? Every Sunday. Every Sunday. Every Sunday, the text we're, we're doing will show us something about the gospel and will show us something about mission. And if we're not weaving mission in every week, we're subconsciously teaching people they can grow as disciples in the word without being on mission, which is something that would have been very foreign and odd to Jesus' disciples. Okay, um, so this stuff we just think about again and again. Um, and so now let's take some time to think about your Sundays because I don't want to just, um, I can only describe to you what we do. I can't prescribe it because you're the leaders, you're the elders, you're the highest authority in the church. I just want to get you thinking about this stuff, right? Because it's just easy to do what we've always done. And, and so I want to give you a better time to break up in teams and, um, and just dream. Don't check out. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts here because this, be, this can be hard. I want you to dream. I want you to remember that um, this is your ministry. Elders, this is your ministry. It's no one else's ministry. It's no one else's fault. It's your ministry. And you get choices of how you do it. In light of the lost, in light of the folks that are in your church, you get choices. You get to shape it. You get a choice. Remember that it's very easy to get sentimental about the wrong things. And we might be clinging to something that's not working for mission, but we like it because it's like our little night-night. It's like our little monkey. It makes us comfortable. It makes everyone in our church comfortable. And what would we do without it? Oh, we couldn't even sleep without it. How, how could we possibly do a Sunday without it? You could try. 
Remember that we want to be intentional. We want to be innovative because we've got the best thing in the whole world we're talking about here. We're talking about the gospel, the hope of glory. We're not, our hope isn't in the, in, the right, in the right Sunday service. It's not in all the right pieces. Now we've got it. Now, now that's, it's not a formula here. Our hope is in Jesus. We're just trying to take everything out of the way that's not Jesus. That's all we're talking about. So just, just I, want to, I want to give you a chance in your, in your groups to dream. Um, think about who you're reaching. Think about who you're hoping to reach. Think about what an outsider would be likely to say if they came to your church now. Would it be like they're out of their mind? Or would it be, I'm on my face. There's God among you. I want to worship him. And, and how do we create, you know, how do, if, if there's any of this, um, just unnecessarily they would leave thinking you're out of your mind you know, because of the name of your kids' minister. Or what, if there's things like that, that's stuff easy to change, right? And so um, really quickly, we're going we're gonna to get these passed out, um, and we want to break up into groups, and we've only got 25 minutes. And you guys, the other day, like, you, we didn't make it through everything, right? So you got to go a little faster this time, all right? So you're going to break up in groups. Stay close. L- listen, listen, listen. Here's the thing. While these pa- just please keep listening while they pass this out, because I'm, I'm not done. I want to help you see this. You're just filling out, filling out this first column, you're going to have 10 minutes in your groups to fill that out, and then I'm going to run around and tell you what to do with the second column, all right? So 10 minutes, not rocket science. Take a sheet, break up in your groups, and uh, we'll see you in just another few minutes.